we have a good father that does not give us, he's not playing tricks on us. He's not trying to, to, to mess with us. And, you know, particularly uh, we had the election this week and uh, statistically Union County voted 81% in favor of a Republican president, uh, which would indicate that many here this morning probably did the same. And I just want to say that our father in heaven, he's still on the throne. And uh, we, we talked a little bit last week. No matter who got elected this week, God's on the throne. God will be on the throne in four years from now, in eight years from now. Um, in fact, in, I don't have the, the reference, but Jesus said to his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. But what was the encouragement? Fear not, for I have overcome the world. And then uh, in John, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so, you know, election cycle to election cycle, they're important. But more importantly, who are we here to worship this morning? And who will, who truly, what kingdom is truly the kingdom that we are looking to build? And we're going to talk this morning about how as believers we are brought together and put into a a spiritual house together. We're building blocks of one house, and we can celebrate that, and that uh, sort of establishes what our calling is, what our purpose is, and we're going we're gonna to look at that this morning. And so, to a lighter note, let's start by talking about Lego. I was a Lego guy when I was a kid. Now, some of you maybe were Lincoln Logs, or uh, we had Tinker Toys, um, Connects, um, what am I missing? There's other ones. I've... The erector sets. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't think I can include him here. <laughs> it is the same idea. We love to, because we love to create, right? And with Mr. Potato Head, you're, you're, you're building, I don't know. It's close. <laughs> Um, so when I was a kid, we just had a bin of pieces. You know, you go to Walmart now and you see these sets, like the, the battleships and the space rockets and the, the animal, all, all these different Star Wars, and, and they can build, you have all the like cool pieces and everything. I just remember like the basic blocks. If we had like a little steering wheel, we had something special, you know? But we would create. So we wanted to build something that people would... You wanted to build something that your friends would look at and think, man, that's pretty, that's pretty sweet, you know? Um, we wanted something that was attractive, something that people would be drawn to. Um, the, another thing that I liked about the Lego was the, the little cool pieces that you would have that you could use them to kind of create some sort of function, right? So you could have a drawbridge that actually, you know, that actually moved or a car that rolled or... Um, maybe a Ferris wheel that actually turned. I'd be probably into the Tinker Toys, right? Um, but we like to, to create things that work. But I also had two brothers. So we might be building Lego one day, and then we might have like the slingshots out the next day, right? So you were, you were trying to build whatever you were building, and it needed to be strong, especially if you had brothers. And uh, so these, these are the kinds of things that, that I went into my thinking as a kid, playing with these kinds of things. And it makes me think of the scripture, we can go back to the Tower of Babel, and we see man trying to create something impressive. And uh, we just look around, I mean, this, this is an amazing building we're in. 
Uh, and, and we just see man has continually, over the, the years and the centuries, um, been creators, been builders, been innovators. And I think, um, I think it's probably because we are made in the image of God. And this earth is the most magnificent thing ever to be created. And so as his children, as, as uh, humans built or made in his image, we are imitating God when we, uh, when we create, when we build. We talked a few weeks ago when Jesus told his disciples, I will build my church. And we talked about how he wasn't saying, um, uh, he was not talking about building his church on, on St. Peter and the, the qualities that Peter had, but on this idea that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God. So as we look into the scripture this morning, we're going to see that as believers, we are building blocks that God is using to build his church. And he's building his church because he has a purpose for us. He has a calling for us. And so we're going to look at all of these things this morning. So um, I think it would be neat. We have stood this morning to honor our military. We have stood this morning to honor some of our missionaries. If you are able, let's stand together and we will honor the word of God as we read it this morning. We're going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become this cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this, this morning for the mercy that we have received. Uh, you call us a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy nation. Lord, we want to see why you've done that for us this morning. We want to see what purpose you've called us for. Uh, Lord, would you just open the words of the scripture this morning and help us to see it, help us to understand it, and give us a desire, Lord, to put it into practice in our lives. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing with me. Verse 4 here, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, as you come to your Savior, a living stone, uh, this is a, an ongoing process. We come to him at salvation, but this call here is to continually come to him throughout our lives. We talked about last week um, the idea of a, of a newborn baby and how the baby longs for its mother's milk. In the same way, we should long for the scripture. We should have a desire for it. We should want it regularly. We should be satisfied uh, when we receive it. And so as we come to Jesus is something that we should be doing on a regular basis. 
And as we come to him, we see that he is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Jesus, the Son of God, he was present at creation. Remember, let us make man in our image. This was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit together at creation. And yet when Jesus came to earth, he was rejected by man. He was, he was ridiculed, he was scorned, he was beaten, he, he went to, the, to a death on the cross on our behalf because he was rejected. And so the first thing I'm just pulling out of this verse is just this idea, have we ever, have, have I ever, have you ever been rejected by man because of your faith? Have you ever been even maybe estranged from your family because of a moral stand that you've taken? Have you been kind of pushed to the side because of a conviction, a biblical conviction that you've had? Have you ever been alienated because of your faith? If you, if you can say yes to any of those, well, we're in good company. Because Jesus was rejected by man. He was precious in the sight of God, but rejected by man. So when we are rejected, and we should be, at, at some point if we are living a godly biblical life and taking uh, moral stands, living by conviction, there will be times where we'll be rejected, we'll be alienated, we'll be cast to the side by friends or family or co-workers. We can take comfort that Jesus found himself in the same position. And yet he was still chosen and precious to God. And, and even in our rejection at times, we are still chosen and precious to God. Well, we see here that Jesus is a living stone and so if, if as, as we've been working through this, I've noticed this word living keeps coming back up oh, several times, maybe four times here in, in the book of First, First Peter already. So in First Peter chapter 1, we saw that we were born again into a living hope. This hope that we have for eternity with God is a living hope. It's not a dead hope, it is alive uh, we saw again in chapter 1 that we've been born again through the living word of God. When we read God's word, um, it convicts us, it challenges us, it comforts us. Uh, it, does, it, it causes all kinds of reactions because it is alive. It's not a dead manuscript. Um, here we see that, that Jesus is a living stone and it says, we'll see here in verse 5, that we are like living stones ourselves as believers. So why is this important, that um, this, this idea of living, the living word of God, a living hope, we are living stones. Why is that important? The Christian faith hinges on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus is alive today. He was crucified, he was rejected by man, but he did not stay in the grave we don't worship a dead God. We're not studying the teachings of a good man that got some things right, and so be, we'll, we'll probably be better off if we follow these teachings. He's a living God. We worship him. We serve him. And that what, that's what differentiates us from so many other religions. We're not following just a bunch of rules that make us better people and maybe make the world a better place, and hopefully if we do a good enough job, we'll get up there one day. This is, this is a living, we serve a living Savior. This is a living Word of God. And it's so important, Paul talks about it um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and, and there's this argument over, well, is the resurrection even a real thing? Like, could someone come back from the grave? 
And this, these are some of Paul's arguments. It's, it's important. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. That's how important it is. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you are believing a lie. We could just pack it up, close your Bibles, let's go home. If, there's a big if there, if Christ has not been raised. Paul says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. If that didn't happen, we're misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, who he didn't raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. It's an important thing. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ had been raised. And this, was, this is what some people are arguing. There's no such thing as a resurrection of the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Man, this is, we celebrate that our sins have been washed away, that we have been set free, that we have been forgiven. All that's not true if Christ was not raised. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Anyone who died believing in Jesus, they're, they're dead. They're gone. They're, there's no hope. But these are all if, 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 if. Here's the, here's the fact, though. Oh, excuse me, one more if. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, do good, be kind, make the world a better place, if that's our only hope, then we are of all people most to be pitied. Just close up. Let's go and have fun. Let's go find something to do. We've got mountains to hike, trails to, to follow, rivers to fish in, right? Okay, now here we go. Here's the facts, though. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It says, Jesus is risen, and he's just the first one. And it is our hope, not hope, maybe it'll happen, but hope, confident expectation that we will do the same. It reminds me of a, uh, of a familiar hymn. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. This is a good hymn for us right now in our election season too, right? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Life is worth the living just because he lives. Okay, so this word, this idea, this living, living hope, Living word of God, we are living stones, it is, it's significant. We are being built up into a spiritual house, verse 5 says, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is a living stone, it says, and we are like a living stone, being built up into a spiritual house. So there's this metaphor that um, that we are blocks or stones of a house joined together. And I, when you think, we don't really see so much block construction here. Uh, you would, if you were from Florida, you'd be more familiar with block construction. Um, over in Europe, there's all kinds of stone castles and mansions and homes. But here, you know, we're more of a, a wood, stick frame, plywood, sheetrock kind of culture. But we, we still understand this idea of building with stones. They're, they're integrated. They're, they're overlapped. They're locked together. Um, mortar joins them together, not just kind of stacked up and, and loose. They are tightly um, put together. And as believers, it says that we are being built into a spiritual house, that we should be connected to one another. 
This is why we, we want to gather here this morning. We've got some watching online with us with, with uh, health concerns, and so glad that you're joining us online this morning. But the truth is that we need connection as believers. We need to be connected to fellow believers, and we do that by gathering here this morning. We do that by going to small groups. We do that by the Sunday school hour that hopefully a lot of you participated in this morning. Um, it happens when we serve with each other, and we serve one another. This connection is important. Let me just read the second half of this verse, and then we're going to continue with this idea of this, this spiritual house that's being built. It gives us a purpose here, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. And we're going to come back to that in a minute, but we're going to continue, first of all, with this analogy of being a spiritual house that's being built. Paul would use the analogy of that we are members of one body, and he talks about the hand and the, and the foot, and you can't, you can't do with one without the other. Every part is important. Every part plays a role. Peter here is using this analogy of building a house, and he continues with verse, uh, excuse me, in verse 6, he's quoting from the Old Testament. He says, it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone a cornerstone, some of your translations might say, chief cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Of course, we know this cornerstone that he's writing about is Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Um, Craig, we'll just jump ahead here for a second to Ephesians chapter 2, um, verse 19 through 22. You're no longer strangers and aliens. As believers, as Christians, we are citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It's the same, same analogy. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So Peter's talking about this cornerstone. Paul identifies the cornerstone as Jesus Christ himself, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So the structure is joined together, and it is a growing structure. We're not just saved. We check that box off. We're going to be okay. We got, yeah, I went to church on Sunday. Uh, you know, we're just checking off boxes. It's just things that we do. But we have, we're joined together, and we are growing together. In him, you are also being built together. It's a continual, ongoing process into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So as we come together as a body of believers, we are a dwelling place for God. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. This is why we, 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 we read the Scripture and we talk about obedience and we talk about faithfulness and we talk about conforming to the image of Christ. We are building a dwelling place for God. And, and, you know, some, sometimes when we, when we worship, we get a better sense of that. Sometimes when the choir ministers, we, we get a better sense of that. But it's our reality that we are the house of God. Um, okay, we'll go back to, back to uh, 1 Peter. Um, thank you for jumping ahead there, Craig. But it's Jesus that's the foundation. This cornerstone is so important. And, of course, Construction methods are different now than they were then, but that cornerstone would have been the key piece. It would dictate um, 
the, the, the levelness of the foundation, how square the building was going to be built, whether it was going to, um, you know, as, as you went up, whether it was going to be square, whether it was going to be leaning, it would all depend on how that cornerstone, that foundational stone was built. And, uh, and, and Jesus would say that I, to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is that foundational corner of our faith. But it's interesting because he says, this is for us. Uh, it says in verse 7, the honor is for you who believe. Or, or King James Version says, therefore to you who believe, he is precious. Jesus is precious for those who believe. But we're going to see a contrast here. But for those who do not believe, for those who are uh, unwilling to be persuaded, or for those who have heard the truth but have rejected it, it says that the, corner, the, builders reject, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. All right, I, I, I needed, first service had to help me. I think we're looking at a paradox here. How is Jesus both the cornerstone and a stumbling stone? Right, verse, the beginning of verse tells us, verse seven tells us, for those who believe, he's the cornerstone. For those who do not believe, he's a stumbling stone. It all hinges on Jesus. So my question for us this morning, is Jesus our cornerstone? Is Jesus your cornerstone? Or is he a stumbling stone? You look at that and think, there's no, there's no way. It doesn't make sense. This guy, he lived like 2,000 years ago. He's dead. It, it, what's, what's this with the resurrection? I'm not sure if I believe that. If these are the kinds of things that you think, he's a stumbling stone for you. But for those who believe, he's the cornerstone. He's the foundation. Paul talks about this a little bit, the same idea in 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, 22, um, he's, he's talking about the, the, just the difficulty with accepting who, who Jesus was. And he says, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. The Jews wanted, when Jesus arrived on the scene and declared to be the Messiah, they were like, there's no way. We're looking for a, for a hero. We're looking for someone who would deliver us. We're looking for a warrior. We're looking for someone who's strong. And Jesus, what did he say? I didn't come to serve, or excuse me, to be served. He came to serve. He was the humble servant. So the Jews wanted signs. They didn't get that in Jesus. The Greeks, they were seeking wisdom. But Jesus' message was so simple, right? Love God and love others. The Greeks were looking for some philosophical discussion that they could elevate their thinking. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews who were looking for a conquering hero, and folly to the Gentiles. How does a man dying help me in any way? But to those who are called, Peter says here, for those who believe, both Jews and Greeks, Jesus, or Christ, is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The Jews thought this is foolish. Our Messiah is coming to conquer. The Greeks thought this is weak. This guy, he, he, he died. He had no one at his side. But as a believer, for those who believe, we see the power of God in Jesus willing to give his life as a sacrifice for the entire world. 
So who is Jesus to you? Is he foolishness? Or is he the power of God? We, we need to be able to answer that question. Jesus asked an interesting question to Martha after Lazarus had died. Um, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Talking about the resurrection. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And here's the question. Do you believe this? It was Jesus' question to Martha. Right? We should, be, we should think about the, what is our answer to that question. Do we believe that Jesus is the resurrection? That he is the life? This was Martha's answer. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Do you believe this? He's either your cornerstone or he's your stumbling stone. So, verse 5. You yourselves, this is us, like living stones, were being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. There's this idea of a, a, a collectiveness. We're, we're, here, we're here together. Verse 9 continues this same thought. Let's finish verse 5. To offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There's part of our purpose. Verse 9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. All these, all these kind of building on this idea that we are a house, that we are connected, that we are these living stones that God is putting together. Here's our purpose, again, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I think this is really cool here that in verse 9, Peter says that we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people for his possession. Uh, because in Exodus chapter 19, when, they, when the people of Israel arrived at Mount Sinai, God gave Moses some instruction. He said, Moses, tell these things to the people. And it's a little bit different. We see a condition here. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. There's the, there's the condition. If you will obey and if you will keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure, treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is what Peter's talking about. Peter's telling us we are a holy nation, that we are a royal priesthood. Moses said to the people, if you obey, or God said to the people through Moses, if you obey me and keep my covenants, then you will be um, a treasured people. Then you would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There's a big difference there, but it's interesting that God had offered that to the people of Israel. How did they do on their obedience and keeping the covenant? Not so hot, right? Probably, I don't think we would have done much better. All right, but the, the fact is that the offer was there and they chose to disobey. The offer was there because God was, his intention was to use the people of Israel and God, his intentions are seen through no matter what, right? The purpose for the, king, for the people of Israel is that they would be um, blessed 
and that the, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Israel. And we see that God accomplishes his purpose despite of their disobedience. So we're going to just look in the Old Testament for a few minutes, and we're just going to touch on the priesthood in the Old Testament because it helps us to understand when it says we are a holy priesthood, we are a royal priesthood, what does that even mean for us as believers? And a glimpse of the Old Testament will help us to understand that. The idea of being a priest is not um, limited to, you know, those who have completed seminary or those that pastor a church or those that are of the Catholic tradition. The, the idea of being a royal priest, a holy priest, is for each and every believer. So in the Old Testament, there were certain... When we talk about the Old Testament, it seems like we always go to the rules, right? There were always these things that God had for them to obey and to follow. Well, to be a priest in the Old Testament, you had to be a male from the tribe of Levi. And specifically, if you wanted to be the high priest, the one that would go into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God each year, you had to be of the lineage of Aaron. It's a very select group. Um, and in Leviticus chapter 16, if you get a chance, and you think, why would I want to read in Levit Leviticus? Leviticus chapter 16 is a fascinating chapter talking about how um, the Day of Atonement was to work. And this was the day where the sins of the people were taken away from them. And uh, it, it starts by describing what, in Leviticus, Aaron was the high priest. So the, the ritual bathing that Aaron did and the, clothes, the, the ceremonial clothes that Aaron would have put on. And the bull that was sacrificed for Aaron's sins and the sins of his family. And then the sprinkling of the blood, both of the bull and uh, there were two goats. The first goat was killed, and that goat's blood was sprinkled all through the temple, uh, in the different rooms, on the different um, instruments used in the different ceremonies, uh, a cleansing of blood. And, and this cleansing was to cover the sin. The Day of Atonement, you could, you could translate that the Day of Covering. Their sins were covered. Their sins were not taken um, they weren't completely taken away in the sense that we understand it today, but they were covered and they were removed from them. So Leviticus chapter 16, 21 and 22, um, if you're just picturing Aaron has gone through the ceremonial cleansing, a bull and a goat have already been sacrificed, blood has been sprinkled over uh, many areas. And verse 16, excuse me, verse 21 talks about the second goat. He says, Aaron, this is Aaron, the high priest, the, the one that was preparing to go into the presence of the Lord. He would take both his hands, he should lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all of their transgressions and all of their sins. So their iniquities, transgressions, sins. So just, uh, uh, I mean, we're talking about all of the wrongdoings of the people um, would be confessed as he laid his hands on this goat. And he shall put them, these sins, on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. So they'd have somebody ready to go. The goat would be led away. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat free in the wilderness. So this would happen once a year, every year, for the people of Israel. And so there's no wonder when... when um, much later in the history of Israel, when Isaiah was written, Isaiah 53, verse 6, 
Um, now, we would take this uh, passage and we would, we would say, well, this is talking about Jesus. And indeed it is. But he says, all we are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we think, well, that's great. Jesus, Jesus took our sins. That's a wonderful truth. But for the Old Testament Jew, they have this picture of the priest laying the sins of the people on the goat. They would have watched it every single year, all of their life. And, and the goat taking away their sins. So this idea, just, just the richness that would have been there for, uh, for an ancient Jewish person of the sins of, of, that their personal sins would be laid on the Messiah. And we're, going to, we're continuing, we're just working through this because we're trying to get a sense of this idea of being a priest. It was the priest that was able to make reconciliation through the sacrifices for the sin of the people. All right, so if we look in Hebrews, this idea of the priesthood changes with the coming of Jesus. It says, when Christ appeared as a high priest, all right, very specific role of the high priest, they would... Um, oversee these sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. They were the ones that would go into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. Very specific role for the high priest. He, the high priest was the one that went to, into the presence of God on behalf of the people. It says here, though, that Jesus appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. Then through the greater and more perfect tents, so they were not in the tabernacle anymore, but before God in heaven, not made with hands, it's saying, that is not of this creation, Jesus entered once for all into the holy places. All right, Jesus doesn't have to go back in over and over and over again to pay for, for the sins of the world. He did it one time. He's the high priest going before God on our behalf once for all, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. When Jesus went to the Father, he went as the high priest on behalf of the people but he also went as the sacrifice on our behalf. And this is, this is the result. He secured an eternal redemption. It is a once-for-all sacrifice that we believe in on Jesus Christ. Verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of, def of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, these are the rituals, the Old Testament rituals that they would have been familiar with, if they sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What the sacrifices of bulls and, and, and rams and goats would do for, for our bodies and for um, a temporary basis in the Old Testament, Jesus did for us once for all he, for our souls, though, not just for the cleansing of our body. Okay, this is a little look into the priesthood and Jesus as our high priest and Jesus as our sacrifice. So now when Peter says here that we are a holy priesthood, in verse 9 he says, we are a royal priesthood. He said, we have the role of the priests. Jesus is still a high priest, but we have the role of the priest. So what is the role of the priest? Well, in verse 5, he says, to offer spiritual sacrifices. In the Old Testament, the priest would have offered sacrifices of animals. But we are called to offer spiritual sacrifices. So what's, what's a spiritual sacrifice? I'm glad you asked. 
the first thing that, um, and, and this is what a priest in the Old Testament, they were committed to a life of service to God. That's what it was to be a, a priest in the Old Testament. You were committed to a life of service. And so our sacrifices, though, are different than the sacrifices that an Old Testament priest would have made. Romans 12 verse 1 says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I think it was Samuel that says, said, here I am, Lord. Excuse me, not Samuel, Isaiah. Here I am, Lord, send me. He was available. He said, my body is for your service, Lord. In Philippians 4 verse 18, Paul talks about a sacrifice that's acceptable and pleasing to God. He's writing to the Philippians and he said, I didn't give you this one, Craig, that's no problem. Um, But he's talking about the gifts that he had received from the church in Philippi. And, And Paul said, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. He calls the gifts that the people gave for his ministry a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I believe when we give to the work of God's ministry, it is a fragrant offering, acceptable and pleasing to God. Hebrews 13 verse 15, we joke all the time that Pastor Daryl's our singing pastor. But this is when, we are, when we're singing, we are offering up a sacrifice of praise to God. The fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That's why we sing, because sometimes we don't always know how to put into words, how to express the, the honor and the glory that God deserves. So people write songs and we sing them because it helps us to rightly express who God is and how we feel about him. Verse 16 says, do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We don't do good because we're hoping to earn right, a good standing with God. We do good because... These are sacrifices pleasing to God because the role of a priest is a role of service. So that's one way that we are called to be priests. Another thing that the priest did was the priest was God's representative on the earth. He was the mediator for the people to God, particularly when it came to their sins, but also when it came to teaching the law. It was the priest's role to instruct the people in how to live. Well, guess, we've, look, we've got, how many of you guys have a Bible with you this morning? Let's see those Bibles. How many of you on your phone? Some, I know some of you are on your phone. That's good too. We have the Word of God. And as priests, part of our role of the Word of God is to re- represent Him. And that involves knowing what the Word says and then communicating that Word. Primary role for, all, for, for those who are parents would be to our children. That is a God-given role for parents is to be, to, be, to be priests, Peter calls us, and to teach our children, but also to represent Christ. In 1 Corinthians, we're called Christ's ambassadors, his, our, his representatives on earth. First uh, Peter 2, verse 9, we have the same idea. As a royal priesthood, We are here to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We all have a testimony we could tell of when we were saved, what God has done in our lives, how we used to be, but we met Christ, and now how we are instead. And sometimes that's like, man, yesterday you wouldn't believe what I was thinking about. And Christ reminded me of this. 
and here's my testimony today that he's changed me. It's a, it's a continual thing. It's not just our testimony of salvation. The other thing that's not necessarily implied here in this passage in 1 Peter is that we have access to God. And that was the role of the Old Testament priest was to provide access to God for the people. But the Bible teaches in, in, in Matthew, when Jesus died on the cross, there was a, a heavy veil that would keep people out of that most holy place. And when Jesus died, the veil was torn from the top to the bottom, indicating that God had opened that up, that, that he was available and accessible to all. Romans chapter 5 talks about the, um, that how we have access to God. Um, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says that we can draw with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we would receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have access to God. That's one of the, the um, I guess, benefits, you could say, of being part of this priesthood. So this is, this is the call for us today. We're living stones, joined together to be holy. Yet we've got each other's backs. You know, you think about a stone wall that's, when it's put together, stone was used because it's strong and because it's durable and it's impenetrable. And as we come together as believers, we strengthen one another, we encourage one another, we support one another. Um, probably most of you, now there's an exception in every group, but probably most of you, when you go home, you don't have like a pile of two-by-fours in the front yard. And you don't have a bundle of shingles, you know, sitting over there at the side of the house, and you don't have some sheetrock in, in the backyard, right? And your neighbor comes over, so I said, I said, Ray, there's an exception everywhere. <laughs> your neighbor comes over and says, well, how come you got two by fours in the front and shingles in the side, and you got some sheetrock out back? And you say, oh, that's just part of my house. And we're like, well, it's not really part of your house. It's out there in the yard. As do we do that sometimes, though, as Christians? Oh, I don't need, I'm, I'm fine. I don't really need to go to church. You guys aren't. You guys are here. You guys are tuning in online. Glad that you're with us. But, but don't we have that tendency? Oh, well, I, don't need that. I don't need that bigger body of believers. I'm fine on my own. I'll just be out in the yard. And yeah, this, we're not talking about someone who's not a Christian. We're talking about those who have accepted Christ and say, well, I don't really need everybody else. But this, this, the scripture says that we are joined together, that we are a spiritual house. We need each other. And as we come together, then we can take on this role that we've been given as priests, first in service, then in proclaiming who God is, whether that's just through a personal testimony or teaching in Sunday school, uh, being an upward coach and doing devotions at, at uh, during practices with your team, sharing a testimony during halftime at Upward, uh, we've, Peter mentioned a two, two ways that we could serve uh, in the foyer. We've got two sign-ups, two different ones. One is for the church Thanksgiving meal. We need people to help cook because we can't do the potluck this year. Boy, what a great way to, to meet some fellow believers and, and serve the body at large. You can sign up for that in the foyer. But then we're also doing the outreach for the community Later that week, the community blessings meal. So the blessings meal is for the community. The Thanksgiving dinner sign-up is for the church. Two different ways that you can serve. One for this spiritual house because we need the fellowship, we need the connection, and one as we go out and to reach the community. Are you guys going to be out back again? Barb and, and Cal will be out back if you've got questions about that one. We have 
Access to God. How's the prayer life going? We get busy, right? Yeah, we got to do this, do that, do that. Yeah, I read my Bible this morning. I'm all, but do we, do we stop and spend time in prayer with God? This is an area I'm constantly having to check myself and, and tr- try to, to do better because that, that time with the Lord is just, it cannot be replaced. Now, great prayer meeting on Wednesday night. If you're like, I'm not sure how to do that, or um, the, the Hebrews chapter 4 says we can, it's still on the screen, that we can draw near to God, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Wednesday night prayer group is just spending time in prayer for those who are in need. And we, 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 we firmly believe as a church that we can approach the throne of grace, that we can approach God personally on behalf of on our own behalf, but on behalf of others. So Wednesday night prayer group is a great opportunity for, for you to, to put into practice this idea that we have access to God. Lots of, lots of ways to be involved and to assume our role as priests in the family of God. Um, Matthew said that uh, when a, a believer allows their light to shine, that their good deeds are seen among men and glory is given to God. And that's why we're doing it, so that he would be known in this community and in our families and around the world. We are living stones, connected. We're part of a body. And when, we're, when each one does their part, then I think this really does happen. Then we, we are proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into the marvelous light. So let's... Let's commit this week in some way, shape, or form, whether it's through having access to God through prayer, serving the Lord, uh, assuming the role of the priest as a teacher, as a communicator. We all have ways that we can assume this role of a priest this week because that's what the Bible says that we are. So let's, let's commit to do that. We're going to close with a word of prayer. We're going to close with a song. Uh, John and Peggy are available. Or, Paul, sorry, Paul, Van Wyck, and Peggy, they're available to pray if you've got some concerns that you want to bring to the Lord uh, and have someone pray with you or for you. Um, they'll be up front here as well. So Heavenly Father, just thank you for these truths from your word this morning. Uh, thank you that you had a plan uh, when you saved us to make us part of the family of God and part of this living house that you're building. And each one of us is a part of that. We each have a role. We're We're each needed. Lord, I pray that you would be working in us and through us to uh, live out what you've called us to. And just thinking about the role of a priest, because that's what you've called us to be, uh, this idea of interceding uh, on behalf of ourselves and and others, this idea of uh, a life of service, and this idea of, of being willing to communicate your word, whether it's through testimony or teaching Uh, through some sort of ministry. You've called us to do these things, Lord, and I pray that you would be um, just working in each one of our hearts that, Lord, um, we see throughout Scripture, you're constantly asking questions. And so, Lord, I just wonder, how am I fulfilling my role as a priest this week? How do I have those opportunities? Lord, would you open my eyes to see that? Would you open our eyes as a a collective group, as this, this house that you're building, that we would see uh, where you're working, how you're using us, and how you are, where you're calling us to be used. Lord, would, you, would we be found willing to do what you have us to do? 
Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. May we proclaim your excellencies because you have called us out of darkness and into light. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.